The well-known story of a man and his family in a big floating boat is actually quite different from the popular depictions that we see in nurseries, as if this was a children's story. In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle discuss the concepts and the metaphors that make the Noah story so much more. A tiny floating zoo, the scouring of the earth, and molten lava. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. So this is Pastor Danielle. And this is Rabbi Ari. And welcome to A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. It's been a little while since we've been back together due to some fun summer travel and adventures. But here we are and we're ready to dive into Noah and the flood. That's true. Dive in. <laughs> so to speak, we'll float across the top of the topic because we're not going to go that deeply into it. Oh, dear. Um, we have two weeks to talk about Noah. This is going to be the story of the flood part and what led up to it and what happened during it. And the second part, we'll talk about what happened when it got off the boat. Okay. I think the first part is we were talking together about the fact that the word ark is not what it is. Um, hmm. The word arca in Latin is what they use is for a treasure chest, and that's why we talk about the Torah being in an ark, a treasure chest, as it were. Mm. But the word ark, as it appears in the story in Hebrew, is just a box, right. a teva. A teva. And then the word you're referring to for ark is also not the same oh. word as this, right? That's a different word. That's a, that's, yeah, the, the Torah ark is an aron, which is the word for a closet. closet. Yeah. Or a coffin, mm-hmm. basically any kind of cabinet. Mm-hmm. So it's a useful cabinet versus a plain old box. Right. Teva. And the word teva then is going to occur here in our text, and then really only one other time. Moses. In the Moses story. So giant floating zoo and tiny <laughs> and small floating baby zoo. <laughs> basket are the same word. So Moses is placed in a teva at the papyrus basket. That's how right. it's translated predominantly in English. Um, and then we have ark, A-R-K, here for Noah's big box. But it really is just a box. And one of the it's things... It's an unsteerable boat. Right. There's no rudder. There's no way to steer it. God's going to close the door. Um, differing, of course, from other ancient fl- uh, flood narratives we have from the ancient Near East, where um, people are heralded for their great you know, steermanship of the boat. Right. But in this case, it's not a boat. It's not even really an ark it's just a box and god is in charge of where it goes and then the next time we have it it's moses being placed into an ark and so one of the pictures we have is that whenever god uses the word teva for either moses or for noah that it's a picture of a redeeming vessel god is going to be doing some redeeming and saving of god's people through this teva and totally god because there's nothing you can do Right. First of all, Moses was too young to have done anything if he could have. And Noah couldn't steer the boat. And if he could, where would he go? Right. So basically, it was on God's grace, floating wherever it would have been. Right. Noah was no more a sailor right. than I am a pilot if I ride a roller coaster. Right. I just Or an airplane. Or an airplane. I, yeah. I just sit there and I'm a passenger. Yeah. And so we got uh, Noah. By the way, the story starts in, in English only. Starts with him being on an ark. And when he gets off and there is a rainbow, it is shaped like an A-R-C, arc. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's from arc to arc. Arc to arc. Yes. Yeah. But. um, (laughs) Well, as the story starts, then it begins because things are not as they should be. Right. Right. Things have corrupted themselves. Flesh has corrupted itself. People are engaged in the sin of Hamas in English and Hebrew. Right. And Hamas is kind of a 
funny thing since it's also the sworn enemy of anything Israel, Israel, right? right. It's, it's an acronym for Muslim Resistance and Liberation Organization. But it's just kind of funny that it's the word for violence in Hebrew. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, only, it's, it's not used in modern Hebrew much. It's, it's, it's pretty archaic. But uh, Noah's name is also a funny thing. Right. Because his name is not Noah. There is a Hebrew name Noah, but it's not spelled the same way. It means move, like a motor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the five daughters of Tzlovchad, and I have no idea how it's pronounced in English, uh, is named Noah. But his name is Noach. Noach. And Noach is rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so the word for, sh- for, for Sabbath rest is Menucha, Noach, the, in mm-hmm. the middle there. Mm-hmm. But his father, Lemech, which is a funny name, uh, names him Noah because he says, Ze yinachamenu. This one will comfort us. Min ha'adama asher arara Hashem, which from the, from, the, from the work and the pain we have to do in all the agriculture because the ground has been cursed by God. And so this is Lemech's hope that his son Noah will bring an end to the curse on the ground. Mm-hmm. But Yenachamenu is the word Menachem. That would have mm. been his name if it had been that. And it means to comfort or to rethink um, things. And so it, it, it has nothing to do with right. his, his story. Though one can think if God ca- cursed the ground, maybe God cursed the ground with a drought <laughs> and the flood mm. ended that drought. <laughs> <laughs> Though it was salt water, so it wouldn't have Right, so here we have, like, of course, in chapter 6, verse 5, right, that the wickedness of humankind is great in the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. All, kol hayom, all day. All day long, only evil. And then God grieves that God has made humanity on the earth. That's right. right. So there's a couple things that I think are interesting just about this little portion is I'll, find, I'll frequently, as a pastor, if people ask me the question, like, well, why does God allow evil in the world? And my answer is always, well, because he allows you. And <laughs> so um, that as we are created um, with free will, and now, and the rabbis will take this phrasing here right in the beginning of, of um, Genesis 6, inclination to do evil. The rabbis will talk about how we're all given the inclination to do good or the inclination to do evil. So the Yetzer Tov or the Yetzer Hara. And they get that from this verse. And then, so the, the, the idea is, if you, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea is something along the lines of like, you can, you can have your heart inclined to do evil all day long, but then the converse must also be true, that your heart could also be inclined to do good all day long. And if each one of us is wrestling with that inclination to do good or to do evil on any given day or in any given moment, um, part of what it means to love God with all, which will be that central command that's going to be coming in Deuteronomy, Mm -hmm. is to love God with even that which we might be inclined to do evil with, right? So all of it gets turned back to this desire to love God. But that's not the case here. (laughs) Here, it's the inclination to do evil all along, all day long, and how what a terrible world that sounds like to live in. Like I would not want to live in a world where every inclination is to do evil. I think that's hyperbole just to begin with. But but still, it's a world that had already gotten to the point, beyond the tipping point, where good people could change it. There there are a couple of stories about this. The first thing is that... uh, the command to get to build the ark is given to Noah after the mention that he had kids when he was 500. Mm. The command to get in the ark because the rain's about to start happens when he's 600. 
And so the rabbi said, a hundred years? He was building an ark for a hundred years? It was and, big. Yeah, it was big. But, big and, and, yeah, it's a big book. Um, <laughs> not, as, not as big as it would need to have two and seven of every kind of animal in the world, but that's okay, too. Um, they were miraculously shrunk down. But... Uh, <laughs> Not to mention the food to feed them with, but no, no. But the um, the the story of uh, of the, the hundred years is so that people will come up to him and say, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm building a boat." And he said, "Why are you building a boat?" He said, "Because God's going to flood the whole world and destroy it because everybody's gone to hell right. in a handbasket." So you better get better. Right. So that he had a hundred years to try to come tell right. people that this is going to happen. One of the things that uh, a friend of mine is a professor of climate science and. Evolution and stuff like that, and so he gets he deals with a lot of things like this, um, and climate change deniers, as it were, right. are they get the people who come up to know what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? Well, oh, don't you know that you know, there's not there's no global warming? It's not going to happen. Wait a hundred years mm. and, and see how much higher the water level mm. will be. Mm. And so that that's here you have Noah for a hundred years. As it were, trying to tell people, I'm building this boat because I believe it. But then again, if you had a next-door neighbor who's building a boat for 100 years, and you'd figure, this guy is absolutely touched in the head. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to believe him. Mm-hmm. But Well, and, and yet, right, they're in an area of the world, in the ancient Near East, where there's these three giant rivers that are coming through that area. Um, and there is a, a flood a flooding of it's not uncommon to have flood and flood narratives in that area of the world right that there would be times when it would just become a torrential giant huge floodplain um so maybe that hadn't happened for some time but there might have been some clues as to reasons to be concerned you know and to maybe try to negotiate a ticket onto that boat but again this is the example and the hyperbole you're talking about but the inclination of everyone is to do evil they're not looking for a way in Right? They're not looking right. for a way close to God. They're not looking for a way to restore. It's very different from like our Jonah narrative. Jonah's the most successful prophet of all time, right? Because he, after a, a short detour down into the deep in the abyss and, and the belly of a giant fish, when he gets to Nineveh, he shows up and he's like, yeah, you guys should repent. And they're like, okay, we're in. Like all, <laughs> all of it, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, everybody else, no one else has such success, right? They have chapters and chapter of warnings and nobody's paying attention. And Jonah just shows up to the Ninevites and even the animals repent. So here we have Noah building a boat, you know, by Teva for a hundred years and maybe nobody is sort of cluing in. I also like the conversation here of like Noah's the most righteous of his time. I'm going to get there. Hold oh, on, go. Hold that, hold that go. thought for a second. Yeah. Because what would he need a flood boat for if he was living in a flood plane? Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. when, when Noah, when I said Noah <laughs> was, was a righteous wah, man, wah. <laughs> and he was righteous in his generations, right? Tzadik Bedorotav, in his generations. And the rabbis say, well, there's two possibilities with that. Mm-hmm. If you're the only righteous person in a generation that everybody's bad, right. well, then how righteous do you have to be to merit that? <laughs> right. right? You're better than horrible. Right. So, right. so, you, so you, compared right. to what you're living among, you're righteous. Mm-hmm. Or they could say, in a generation where everybody is a gang member right. and you're not, it right. takes an awful lot of righteousness to be. So he was like right. super righteous right. Right. because he, he was able to keep him and his family from going down that rabbit hole. Right, right. So there's no... Uh, the, the, the we don't know. No, we don't know. But what I like also the turn and the twist of, you know, sort of when when God goes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Abraham negotiates, right? right? He's like, please, you know, for the sake of a few righteous ones, will you please save this? So, whereas here, we don't have any story of, of Noah negotiating back with God. Please don't destroy the earth. Nope. Instead, it's how big, how big a boat you how want. How big a boat you want. <laughs> and, and because of that, then, in the person of Noah, we don't see uh, the role of a prophet. Like Abraham and Moses and others intercede. They have that intercessory aspect of the prophetic role, the leader role of God's people as a shepherd to try to intercede with God on behalf of the people. And with Noah, we don't have that, right? With Noah, we just have um, how big a boat you want. You don't have Noah saying almost anything. Right. I mean, he's a pretty much a cipher. He's, he's Except a am- scene at the end, which we'll get to, of We'll get to next time. But, yeah. but even then, it's not a whole lot. And he, there's, there's just nothing verbal mm-hmm. about this story. It's right. all from the narrator. Right. So you right. don't have any character speaking. No. So you have to go to the movie versions and see Russell Crowe. <laughs> you, can, you really just have the sound effect of, of hammer pounding. Right, and then wood. rain falling. <laughs> That's it. That's all, I, that's all you can do. I was actually, I think we were talking a little bit about how, because there's a lot of animals and little kids love animals, this is often a theme that's brought into nurseries and, um, and all of those things. We can have like a Noah's Ark, but it, it's a pretty dreadful story. It's right? a pretty dreadful story. And I was teaching it years ago to a group of kids uh, right after Hurricane Katrina had happened, not on purpose. It was just sort of like, you know, how it had fallen down in the calendar. And I had kids raising their hands for the first time ever in my pastoral career. People had pictures of what a flood looked like. A massive catastrophic flood because of these pictures of Hurricane Katrina that were on the news. And they had seen on the news pictures where animals and bodies were floating by. And so the kids, they're so visual, right? The kids in that room all raised their hand and they said, whoa, that must have been so horrible to see from the ark. And it was the first time I'd ever taught the story to kids where they had placed, they understood the suffering that was happening. Um, even though we didn't have an illustration for it. I have a kid's book, and I, I'll bring it next time, and we'll yeah. mention what it was. It's, it was a picture book, and there's no words in it. It's the story of Noah. And there was a picture, a sequence of pictures, where all the animals are going on the boat, and then they close the boat, and there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of animals that didn't get to go on. Mm-hmm. And then it begins to rain, mm-hmm. and then the waters rise, and the animals are crowding together and together on the top of a hill right. until finally they're covered over and the boat goes off. Mm-hmm. And I was being my rabbi dad thing, reading this to the kids the first time. I figured, okay, reading the story. And, we were t- and, I, and I was watching this, and they didn't really understand the picture. I mean, they right. did. Right. But it, that something happens when you have kids mm-hmm. that all of a sudden the death of human beings and right. children just kills you differently. Right. And, um, well, and having to explain it. And having to explain it. And, 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 and it was so sad. And, and this, I can't get these pictures out of my head. Even now, right? Uh, just to see, and, and they did it with the animals because mm. with people, if there was just people there, you can say, "Oh, well, those are bad people. They should deserve to die." Who did die? But the rabbit, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so that kind of thing um, went on. It killed absolutely everything. So, the, so a lot of the commentators, and both Jewish and Christian, say that it's because it doesn't say all people got bad. It says all flesh got bad. Mm. Basically, there was something about meat. Hmm. The meat in the, which we live in uh, that turned bad. Hmm. It's as if the meat rotted, hmm. and so the animals deserved to die as well. Right. And only a representative few of them would take them up on the boat. Hmm. And 
and we're only six chapters into Genesis. Right? So <laughs> th- things have gone bad very quickly. As a matter of fact, this chapter, the, the story of Noah starts in chapter 5, verse 29, and ends in the end of chapter 10 with his descendants. Mm-hmm. And so there is as much in the story of Noah right. as everything that's happened so far. Right. In terms of chapters. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's really... I said, by the way, I have to say, so from 529 to 1032, that's the story of Noah. Noah's name is mentioned, and I counted this up for the very first time, 40 times, mm-hmm. which is the number of days it rained. Mm-hmm. And according to, to some versions of this, and there are two flood stories because mm-hmm. there are two ways of looking at how this right. is formed together. One is it lasts 40 days, and one is it lasts for a, a solar year. But the fact that 40 is a significant number mm-hmm. comes from the Noah story hmm. for the 40 days. It's the very first time the number 40, the 40 is mentioned in the Bible. And the, not the letter of the alphabet, hmm. Hebrew alphabet, that is used to represent a 40 is the letter mem. Hmm. And mem is the word mayim, mm-hmm. and that's the word water. Mm-hmm. And we know that from a lot of reasons. First of all, just the way it is, and also the way it used to be written in the old Hebrew characters. Mm-hmm. It was basically a wiggly a line. It yeah. looked like water, but another long line to show you the end of the letter. And so hmm. 40 as a, as a symbol, as a metaphor, as all these different things, arises from its use in the Noah story. Every time you talk about 40, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years reign of David, 40 years reign of Solomon. And 40, I mean, 40 days for the temptation of Jesus. Yeah, every, you know, all these different things. All the 40s as symbols come from this particular story. And so the first thing I ever heard was that um, 40 days on the mountain right. for Jesus and Moses. Right. And, and for, the people were saying, oh, 40, that was a generation. That wasn't a generation. I mean, that was maybe a lifespan, but it wasn't a generation. Forty be- means, as it were, a purification period. That's what it comes to mean. It doesn't really... It, every time you see 40, it's used to say the 40 years in the wilderness, the 40 days on the mountain, all these 40, 40, 40s, a purification... 40 days, 40 years of this particular king, because he deserved it. It's a purification period. And the... There are two concepts here, because the word flood is what we call, call it, but it wasn't a flood in, in the Bible. Right. It was, it was called a wearing away, an erosion. The word is mabul. If you're wearing shoes and you wear them to the wilderness, and God says, see, if your shoes didn't wear away right. in the book of in Deuteronomy, and, and that's the same word as a mabul. Your shoes didn't wear out, because I made special that they wouldn't wear out. Other well, rabbis say, not only that, but if you were a kid, the shoe grew with you. <laughs> now, that would be terrific. That would be amazing. I can't remember how many shoes I bought for my kids. <laughs> but anyway, so the word is, and the phrase in Hebrew is mabul, mayim al ha'aretz. That is, it is a wearing away with water on the earth. It is a scouring of mm. the earth is the best way to put it. So if you talked about the scouring of Noah, people would have no idea what you're talking about. Right. But it is the scouring of Noah, not the, not the water that made the difference. Hmm. Interesting. How does that then fit into our Genesis, like the echoes that we have here with the creation of Genesis 1 and, and 2? Because in Genesis 1 and 2, we have this concept of the waters over the face of the earth, right? right. And then those waters being pulled back away and God doing a separation between dry land and wetland and between the waters above and the waters below and all that. So how would you see a connection between the mabul, like the erosion wearing away here in echoing back to Genesis 1 and 2, or is there one? 
Well, this is recreation right. from chaos of right. water. So it's Genesis 1 all over again. Genesis 1 is the wet creation. Genesis 2 is the dry creation. And so what you have here is a re-wet creation. Hmm. Noah becomes the second Adam right. because all the world is then derived from him. And I should mention his wife, who's not named in the story, but in the previous chapter four, 5, before it starts off, she is the last descendant of Cain. And uh, chapter 4, excuse me. And she is the, the, the last descendant of Cain mentioned is Naama. Mm -hmm. And so everybody assumes that her name, with Naama, Nomi, basically another form of it, mean pleasant, is his wife. Why? Because she was named and she's a woman and, people, and women are. Right, they're going so to try to figure named. out. Right. And she's special somehow. Right. She had two brothers, two Vulcan. And anyway, so, so why did she get named? And the answer is possibly because she was Noah's wife. And so anyway, everybody in the world is a Noahite. Right, the Noahide, I think they say it in English. Right, and so we'll talk about that next week. So everybody from that time on is from the second Adam, the second human creation, which mm -hmm. is Noah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as we're talking through our first six chapters and then first ten mm -hmm. chapters of our text, these are our common stories uh, between all of our descendants, whether Jews or, or Gentiles. Right, there's no Hebrews yet, and as we look at either being descended from Adam or being descended from Noah. This portion of Noah and this flood narrative, um, it's disturbing and it's upsetting and there's death and destruction. And there is a concept of a, a recreation and a rebirth and waters again that are coming once again. And how there's even echoes, um, almost line for line, of what God will say to Adam, to what God will say to Noah, and all of those conversations with this recreation. Um, even in the New Testament, then, in First Peter, there will be these continued echoes of these flood waters represented baptism. And that sounds so crazy, because for, for the Christians, when we think about baptism and immersion, we're not thinking about a massive catastrophic flood. But we are thinking about becoming a new creation. And there's many passages in the New Testament will talk about this, but a lot of it would be like, the old is gone, the new has come, you are a new creation in Christ, and you have been submerged under these waters in baptism with Jesus, and you rise again to new life. And when I was listening years ago to a teacher, they said, oh yeah, you know, uh, the flood, that's when God baptized the earth. And I started thinking about the baptism scene with Jesus in the New Testament, which is when Jesus submerges down into the Jordan waters. And as he's there, then God sort of rips open heaven and speaks and says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. And a dove comes down um, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. Um, and whether metaphor metaphorical or physical dove, we don't know, but this image comes down as Jesus comes up out of the water and this new creation and this new life is offered again. And this is something that Christians participate in as we do immersion, right? Ritual immersion, which what, comes from... By the way, what do you do? Do you do immersion or sprinkling or something in the middle? I'm I'm a I'm an immersion girl, but I personally was sprinkled because I grew up in a Lutheran church uh -huh. and um, they believed in infant baptism, mm -hmm. but my parents did not. And my parents wanted us to make our own decision. So when I was 13 and very large in terms of the baptismal pool, which was like a small cup reserved for babies <laughs> at the front, I stood next to the baptismal font and got sprinkled. And it was, um, 
I had, I really picked up my dress. It was like a gunny sack dress. And my grandmother had given, I did it with my dad and my sister. My grandmother had given us like a very special necklace for the day. And it was really meaningful to me. So, um, because it was so weird, right? I'd never seen anybody else do it because only babies were the ones that were brought forward for that sprinkling. So my personal baptism was a sprinkling one, but I, um, I take people to the Jordan River in Israel and we, and we immerse. So what's really weird about it is that, so baptism is Greek. The right. word in Hebrew is immersion, which right. is either taval, which is to be in the water, or to or mikveh, mikveh. which is what the water right. is. Uh, as a matter of fact, the gathering of the waters, a guy called seas, and, and they too, mikveh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mik, that's, that comes from him right there. Right. Uh, and it's also kind of funny, you'll love this, maybe you can use it for a sermon. The word mikveh is related to the word tikva, which mm-hmm. is hope. Mm-hmm. So ha-tikva, nice. which is the uh, uh, national, national anthem, anthem of Israel, the hope. But um, when we go to mikveh, we can't have any clothes on. Mm-hmm. We can't wear any jewelry. We can't have any makeup. Mm-hmm. You brush your hair out if you're a woman or if a long-haired man so that you, the water can reach every place. And you have to go totally under. And you hold your breath. You pick your feet off the bottom so that you're totally... And you, when you come totally out... Totally immersed. It's, when you come out, it's as if you're reborn. Right. You're a brand yes. new creation. Born again. And that's that's the, that, <laughs> that's the last stage of a conversion to Judaism mm-hmm. is that male and female go to mikvah. So the, the thing is, but you have to be totally naked, which is why it happens you know, either in a room or a cave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, you can do it in the ocean if you want. But I don't know, is there, is there a story about Jesus being naked at the Jordan or not? You know, John the Baptist is down there, Yochanan the Immerser, yeah. right? And he's down there and he's teaching. A, he's the Big Dipper, right? Right, the Big Dipper. A immersion of repentance. And um, there's people there from all over that are going to listen to this teaching. So a, a lot of times he's depicted as some sort of like crazy crackhead down by the river. <laughs> and he's got like, <laughs> in a lot of films. <laughs> but he's he, nobody goes out to the wilderness to just see a crazy person. Um, so he's down there and he's teaching. And that's when Jesus goes... You never goes, heard of Burning Man? Right. <laughs> and that's when Jesus goes down and immerses into the waters. Um, I, I think that... But when they have pictures, I mean, they, they, they no, put them No, people clothed, are not... Right. right? Nobody's, nobody's... Nobody's naked. Nobody's showing a picture of Jesus naked. But he would have been. If he were a traditional Jew, he would have been naked. Otherwise, the, his going to mikveh would have no effect because, it's, as they say... Well, when, you, did that, when did that specific... I mean, we'd have to look at rabbinic teaching of when specifically was it started that you had to be... When were the rulings of like, no, you have to be this naked? Because women were doing mikveh too. People weren't mixing, you know, in terms of... People were still modest. You can see the mikvahs in Jerusalem today. No, sure you can. I'm, I'm talking about the modern mikvahs. I'm talking about the ones... The from, ancient ones. So, yeah. No, of course, from the first century. Right. But so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a hunt... There's, like, I don't know how many mikvah... Oh, before you even enter up into the southern steps. Right. It would be interesting to look at rabbinic rulings and when we might date those rabbinic rulings. In the tractate, there's a tractate on mikvah, yeah. right? Um, specifically as to... But all, all that stuff is in the first century, at least. Well, but there's but we, some... We, we know that there's right. a lot of immersion stuff that goes right. on. So, and it also says you must go into the water and you have to wash your clothes. Mm-hmm. So... There's a mikvah in front of like the synagogue acts. at Gamla. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and there's, there's only one. So are you having male and female going in there? No, 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 no. There's only there? one mikvah. No, I know at Gamla. Yeah, but they don't go at the same time. So, so today, what you do is you have times for men and times for women. Got it. And uh, so, anyway, that we're, we're going a little farther away from where no, we so, want to be. Okay, so what we could talk about just to grab this back home is that when, in regardless of 
you know, where and how all this happened, the image of water yes. and submersion underwater and then coming back up again is a picture of a new life. Right. Of new beginning, not a physical washing away of sin or dirt, right? But instead, yeah, this you have, to, you have to wash before you. You go have to, to wash before you go to make this. This is not about a nice bath, right? No. But instead, it is a picture of what you hope would be happening within your heart and in your relationship with God, right? So, um, in Christianity, we would say that these sacraments are visible symbols of what's happening in an invisible world. So the mikvah or the baptism, the immersion is a visible picture for us because we're human and we need these visible, visible, tangible experiences of what God has already done or can already do or is doing in us and can do again. And one of the things I love about the Jewish practice of mikvah today, which I think, you know, of course, Jesus is sharing in, in the early disciples, is that it wasn't something you only did once. No. That if it was conversionary and you were a Gentile coming into Judaism, fine, then there's one conversion mikvah. But after that, there's lots of different reasons and occasions why you would want to come before well, God. women go after women menstruation. Go and you go before your wedding. You go, men would go every Friday and before festival uh, to be in a different physical, spiritual plane. Right. It's it's a prayer. And um, in, in Christianity, particularly liturgical Christianity, and in Europe and medieval Europe, they started uh, building prayer paths. And so you would do, it's like sort of a labyrinth or prayer path, and there's several around here, where you pray as you walk before you go into God's house so that you're prepared. And I think this picture of doing mikvah prior to entering into the house of God, whether you're in Jerusalem, is very similar. How do you prepare your heart? Um, and how do you trust that God can do a new thing? So as difficult as this flood narrative is, and as difficult as um, it is to think of the human and animal suffering that was happening, we also know that it's the catalyst for it is evil. And God's great desire to start to see something reborn again, something new being brought back. And there's hope there in these floodwaters that God can bring out of chaos of the waters, out of the disorder, out of the abyss. He can bring out new life again. And that's going to be our Noah story. And this is where we'll get to, I think, next week when we see how God concludes this We need story. to say one thing about the uh, analogy and the metaphor of mikvah and this particular flooding event is that the thing that was in the mikvah was the world. Mm, right. And not the people right. in the ark. That's right. So that they were never mikvahed. <laughs> right. It rained on them, but they were inside. It was sprinkling. <laughs> yeah, but they were inside a boat. So they had, it was, had, a, it was, had right. a cover. Uh, and by the way, so the cover of the ark was taken off on Rosh Hashanah on the, on the New Year. Uh, the, there are dates of the story. And uh, that's the only one that's really, really, really significantly on a date, but, but it's the Rosh Hashanah was when what would become right when we get the, Rosh when we get that calendar, yeah. But um, yeah, so the 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 as as a mikvah, it did not purify the world. Right. It kind of it was more the scouring mm -hmm. than the washing, mm -hmm. which is another good reason not to call it a flood. Right. Called the scouring in the world because it was getting rid of the dross mm -hmm. and then starting all over again, bringing it back. Right. Back to new life. 
Um, yeah, and we start to see those those pictures. And it's not going to be the only time when God uses this symbol or imagery of water and birth again, right? We'll have it when uh, Israel is coming out of Egypt and they're crossing the Sea of Reeds and God's right. going to part the waters and Israel can come through and it's a picture of birth. And then when Israel will enter That's into the, the new land. the water of Egypt breaks. Right, right, absolutely. And when they cross the Jordan, right, in the book of Joshua um, and, and other times. So we have, and of course, with Jesus and the Jordan River for Christians and also when we have our Jesus narrative of being out on the Sea of Galilee, whether he's calming the storm or... Um, or causing the uh, demoniac with the pigs to be cast down into the abyss and all these different stories, the disciples are quite amazed at, they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Because there's these pictures, uh, Jesus, we even have Jesus' picture of walking on the water um, and he's going to walk on by, it's a very funny verse in the, in the gospels, he's going to just walk by the disciples, he sees them like straining at the oars and he's like, hey guys. Believe me, that, that's walking. very well known by even Jews because <laughs> so many different characters of right. that. going to walk on the water. And it does say here in our flood narrative that the Teva Holech, it walks. It walks yeah, it, it went. It, it, it went. went, yeah. It went. But we have these pictures still even in the New Testament of waters. And then ultimately, interestingly, as our story ends in Revelation, it says that there will be no sea. Hmm. Yeah. And so for all of us West Coast Californians, this is like deeply upsetting because we love the ocean and we want to go and see the sea often. But it's Maybe a picture of... Hawaii. Right. We can walk <laughs> to Hawaii. It's a picture instead that there will be no more chaos. Right. No more um, lack of shalom. That that all of that evil and the sin in Revelation in towards the end of the book, 20, 20 21, 22, that that has been cast out. And, in, and now God's presence is with God's people in the city and there's no need for the gates to close because there's no more night. And, and that idea, again... I'm not suggesting it means that there's no water in, in, no, no, in the word to come, but, but I think that the imagery there is important of how we've seen water function and how that was viewed in the ancient Near East. Is God the God only of the desert or can God also be the God of the waters? And Israel will be wrestling with this quite a bit as they go into their new land and try to understand, do we only believe in one God? existent at all or are we only supposed to be faithful to one god but yes there are these other gods that exist because maybe baal and this comes into our elijah story with the prophets of baal up on mount carmel is is there this other god that's maybe stronger or at least the god of the waters and the wind and the rain and the storm and israel is always going to have to be starting to figure out and contending with the belief that god is god of all and god is in charge of these waters as well as the desert there are a lot of uh remnants of these earlier beliefs left over in the book of Psalms yes. and Proverbs and other and Job and stuff. Yes. Where, but but as, as significantly different than the other Middle Eastern creation stories. Absolutely. God is not fighting anybody. Mm -mm. God just does it. It's not it's not a matter of attaining dominance. However, one of the interesting things about it is my, my, my teachers always stress that because God can control the chaos of water. Yeah. That was an astounding thing. And yeah. I guess if they really knew what a gas was, that to me is even more astounding. But the, the fact is that if you can't pick up water in your hand. It'll fall out. But God mm -hmm. could, as mm -hmm. it were. So that's the way they can present that. Yeah. One other thing. Yeah. If you think about the creation of the world as we now understand it to have been, at least this planet, it was covered with liquid. Yes. Molten lava. Hmm. It Interesting. Was, it was a flood of lava 
both because the earth had not yet totally cooled and because it was being bombarded by major rocks that kept making everything molten again. And so for, it's called the late heavy bombardment, the whole planet was a flood and a scouring of lava. And that's the creation story Interesting. from a scientific perspective right. in the creation of the wet creation. But it, they don't mention it being hot. Well, and it it's going back again to that very, very first few verses we talked about several months ago with Genesis 1, which is that Genesis 1 verse 2, right, that God's spirit, the breath was over the surface of the deep, the tahom, like the abyss, and that God was the hovering over the surface of the waters. And you have this picture of this merachafet, this hovering like a bird hovers. And to know that we, our story tells a story of a God who can hover over the chaos, hover over the waters, hover over the deep, and be in charge of that as well. And that, that's part of, even in these chaos waters of the flood that's coming, um, that's part of our story, that God's still in charge of this. And even through it, God will bring new life. It's, uh, <laughs> the rabbis say that when God says it, and we'll talk more about this next time, when God says there won't be a flood anymore, I won't do this again. And they say, not a flood of water and not a flood of fire. Mm. But and I, and I wonder if they were thinking, experiencing a Jungian species memory of the late heavy bombardment where the planet was covered mm. with with molten water, mm. as it were. Interesting. So. Well, thanks, Ari. It's always been, it's always fun. Next time, it's we'll get off the boat. Grace planet come to wash the evil away, and we'll get a brand new start on a bright side.